Welcome to Collis Krill's On The Sofa podcast. Given the increasing interest and participation in the crypto market, the combined value of which as of May 2021 stood at an incredible US $2.4 trillion, we thought it would be useful to produce a podcast in which professionals from the regulatory, litigation and insolvency and restructuring markets, both on and offshore, could give their reflections on recent developments and trends in this space. So uh, to start with some introductions, uh, I'm joined by Mark Pierce. He's a partner in the private wealth team at Gately. Mark specializes in complex assets and is doing a lot of work in the cryptography sector. We're also joined by Christina Kicks. Chris is a managing director at Interpath Advisory and a licensed insolvency practitioner. Chris has over 20 years experience in asset tracing, investigations, insolvency, enforcement and recovery in the UK and overseas. Finally, I'm David Harvey. I'm head of dispute resolution in the BVI office of Collis Krill, and I specialise in high value cross-border insolvency, fraud and trust trust litigation and arbitration. So uh, beginning with you, Chris, where do you see crypto impacting your work at the moment? Thanks, David. And there's certainly a lot of interest in crypto in the insolvency space at the moment. And I think just with reference to the figures that you mentioned there, which are staggering on the increased interest and participation in crypto, it's unsurprising that in the insolvency space that there is more interest now. Although there are still relatively small number of insolvency cases, it is very much watch this space and we expect the cases um, to grow where there are crypto um, issues involved. Um, So we are building um, a a strong knowledge across the industry. And just more specifically, I see that there are three categories for crypto and insolvency. And first of all, um, there may be insolvencies of the actual cryptocurrency exchanges and perhaps the custodians or the mining businesses, the trading platforms and brokers. And that insolvency um, scenario will involve dealing with vast creditors and tracing and looking at where assets have gone and re- making maximum recoveries for a return to the creditors. And the second category that I see um, for insolvency is frauds, um, where fake crypto has been sold to investors or, or other third parties who think they're purchasing crypto and they never actually receive a return. This could be a Ponzi style case. And so in that insolvency scenario, it will be looking at who is behind the fraud and was there any crypto sold um, or obtained and how insolvency can uh, benefit and maximize asset recoveries. And then the third category that I see in the insolvency space is where an insolvent, um, a company, corporate or a personal matter, there's actual cryptocurrency as assets. It might not be the whole entity is a crypt- is fully crypto. It might be that parts of the company are. Um, and so in those cases, it will be tracing the assets and maximizing recoveries again. Um, so Mark, it would be really great to hear from you on how the crypto field is developing in your area. Thank you, everyone. So we're really seeing two very distinct types of client. We are seeing those clients who are involved in cryptocurrencies, so Bitcoin being the most obvious example. And we've got some clients who have dipped a toe into cryptocurrencies. We've got other clients who've dived straight off the board with no armbands and are fully invested. And the confusion here really stems from 
the taxation of cryptocurrencies in the UK. HMRC have published guidance, they have a crypto manual, uh, which basically concludes that there is no legislation regarding the taxation of crypto. But if there were legislation, HMRC might be minded to approach it like this and look at the residency of the beneficial owner of the crypto. STEP have published a response to that and they have followed the academic view of an individual known as Professor Dickinson and said, no, it's not to do with the cryptocurrency itself, but rather the beneficial ownership of the private key, which is the piece of information that is required to authenticate any cryptocurrency transaction. If that wasn't confusing enough, the judges have also got involved. And in the recent case of Fetch AI and Persons Unknown, the judge, Mr. Justice Pelling, looked at the domicile of the owner of the crypto asset as the point of taxation. So there was real confusion among our clients who invested in cryptocurrency as to what their tax position is. Away from simple cryptocurrencies, perhaps I shouldn't use the word simple in terms of cryptocurrencies, we're seeing pure crypto assets, the creation of crypto exchanges, and how these should be taxed and regulated, not just in the UK, but across the world. And that's where we have been working with international law firms to obtain a range of views on different jurisdictions, what their legislation is, if any. Recently, you may be aware that the US have said that they intend to extend FATCA into crypto exchanges to add yet another layer of complexity and disclosure. So there really is a lot of uncertainty for our clients. That's really what we're seeing per se. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around cryptocurrencies. And one of the things that I would point to is this idea of fraud, Chris, that you briefly mentioned. I think it's very important to distinguish between fraud as in somebody creating a fake blockchain transfer and these types of Ponzi schemes that we are seeing. Because without boring listeners with the mathematics, the idea of making a fraudulent blockchain transaction is mathematically incredibly unlikely. So that is not what really we're seeing, but actually it is these fraud cases like the Fetch AI case that I've already mentioned. And I think a lot of the problem there, Chris, comes from identifying who, what, why, where, and when. Uh, and on that note, I'm very happy to pass it back to you to, to say how you as an insolvency expert would start to move into this. Thank you. And that's really helpful to have that distinction explained. And I think where there are crypto um, considerations in an insolvency, and, and as with all asset recovery matters, it's very important to move quickly. And Mark, so you'll be very um, aware of the risk of and how quickly crypto can be transferred away. And so for an insolvency scenario, um, it's very important to try to secure the crypto and, um, and make sure that the value is maintained as, as much as possible. Um, so at the outset, it would be looking at who has knowledge. There might be an indication before the insolvency appointment of crypto um, assets being there or third parties might be able to provide information as well. Um, interviewing the key persons involved in the business um, and the affairs and trying to seek clarity on computers. Um, are servers used? Is it iCloud? And, and take images of computers as appropriate. It's really looking for passwords and wallets, the, the existence of those, and um, just have 
a, a trace as much as possible. If an exchange is involved, this is um, good news in an insolvency scenario, and because there is something to work um, to there, and you can liaise with the exchange and make sure that the crypto um, currency is as secured as much as possible, um, and gather information from them as much as possible as well. I mean, the categories I explained earlier, I gave the scenario where, um, say, in a in a personal insolvency situation, or indeed a corporate. Um, there might be part assets in crypto. And I think bank statements will be key to identifying those um, references to crypto, particularly if it's obviously not disclosed. Um, so looking at the names in bank statements, it might not be that it's actually clear that it's a crypto asset or a crypto payment. Um, but and actually looking at the FCA register of the and the temporary um, registrations that have been given and the names on there and um, just give a real indication just when you're starting and, and looking at your investigations um, and then of course case law is very important um, what is out there so far on crypto and David I think um, I understand there's a recent case in the BVI where liquidators um, were to deal with cryptocurrency. Yes uh, that's right the case I think you're referring to Chris is Torg Group Holdings uh, and in that case Torg Group had operated as an online cryptocurrency trading flat platform and had provided users with trading and other services through their website and mobile apps. Uh, and there was a, a number of unauthorized leveraged trades which resulted in significant losses. Uh, and as a consequence of that, a decision was made to cease trading. That left the Torg Group of companies facing claims from some 14,000 creditors. Uh, and of course, liquidators uh, were then appointed. Um, the case is interesting because uh, Justice Woolbank in the BVI Commercial Court um, had to consider whether the, um, the, the cryptocurrencies uh, amounted um, to assets for the purposes of the BVI Insolvency Act at 2003, uh, and also whether they were capable uh, of uh, ownership um, and um, he said yes uh, to both of those questions, having regard to the definition of asset in the BVI Insolvency Act, which seemed he, uh, the learned judge seemed to suggest was on all fours uh, with, uh, with crypto, and also having regard to the legal statement on crypto assets and smart contracts, which was issued in November 2019 uh, by the UK Jurisdiction Task Force, uh, chaired by the uh, Master of the Roles, Sir Geoffrey Voss, uh, when looking at um, uh, whether or not uh, the property um, or the asset in question was capable of being owned. Uh, in that case, the court um, had to consider uh, cryptocurrencies in, in two different types of wallets. Um, uh, and one of the wallets um, was controlled by um, the uh, the company uh, and uh, gave access to private keys. The other didn't. Uh, the first of those uh, wallets was deemed uh, to be capable of ownership, and the court found, in respect of the second, um, that uh, in fact, uh, whilst that gave access uh, to underlying wallet users and an exchange platform, that wasn't itself consistent uh, with ownership. Um, it's interesting as a result, uh, to me at least, for two reasons. One, it gives an indication that the BVI court uh, is willing to look uh, to uh, the UK approach 
um, to questions of, of, of property and ownership for the purposes of, of crypto assets. And secondly, um, it makes it plain, or, or at least insofar as it can be plain at the moment, um, that it's really the, the, the keys, the private keys in which uh, there is a proprietary interest or proprietary interest vests rather than the uh, blockchain um, itself. So that may give some indication of where uh, the BVI, um, at least the, the legal regime governing um, uh, the, the questions of, of, of ownership and assets is going in the future. Uh, Mark, what do you what do you think are the most significant legal developments concerning crypto in the private client space? That's an excellent question. And I think really one could sort of delve into your crystal ball and come up with a myriad of different options. But clearly the, the priority for cryptocurrencies is to get some sort of legislation that gives a determination as to how cryptocurrencies should be taxed. Are we looking at residences of beneficial owners? Are we looking at the private key? Are we looking at domicile? Ultimately, it doesn't matter particularly which of those tests is adopted, but clients need some element of certainty. And I think that can only come through legislation. But we're all aware of the limits of the legislative community at the moment in terms of creating new legislation. And this really is a very new, fast-moving area so it could be some time before we get this i think another area and i recently attended a talk by amanda hardy qc who sits on the step technical committee dealing with this matter amanda and i were discussing the concept of currency because currencies are taxed in a very different way to investments and at the moment hmrc is saying notwithstanding that we will call these cryptocurrencies they're not actually currencies uh, yes, again, a, another example of the sheer helpfulness uh, at times of HMRC's approach to this area. But my personal view, and it was a view shared by Amanda, is that cryptocurrencies may already be currencies as far as taxation is concerned. And if not, then they, may, they very well soon will be. So I expect we will see a client with significant wealth challenge this through the courts to try and get some sort of definitive position. I think the second area that we're going to see further legislation on is in the more pure crypto asset space, perhaps crypto exchanges. The US extending FATCA to these exchanges is an interesting step. The IRS have said that by 2023, they want people to report crypto transactions that they complete over 10,000 US dollars. And it's all well and good authorities saying these things, but how do you enforce it? The whole point of the crypto world is the anonymity. So I think we're going to find a real difficulty here between what governments and taxation bodies want, uh, what they're able to obtain. And in the meantime, the investors or the creators of these crypto assets are facing real uncertainty. So right now, what we are seeing our clients looking to say, where should I structure uh, these investments? And we have seen, and I will summarize very briefly because I'm conscious of time, a twofold approach to this. So with the US and the UK being heavily involved in the crypto arena, at least based on my experience, we have gone back to those jurisdictions such as the BVI, where 
there is an innate knowledge of both US tax and regulation and UK tax and regulation. So at least individuals and companies have some sort of help from those jurisdictions. In the alternative, it's no surprise that Asia and Australasia is another major centre for crypto structuring. And therefore, looking east, jurisdictions like Singapore are again coming into their fore in this area. So there will be a lot of developments. There will be a lot of movement in this area in the coming weeks, months and years. So I think really, and, and in my personal experience, where I have been looking at structuring in the BVI, and David, you and I have discussed this many times, you know, what's your view on the BVI's approach to crypto? Is, is it something that the BVI is interested in? I think very much so. I think crypto is, is here to stay. It's not just an alternative to currency, blockchain itself, uh, for example, in relation to supply chain, uh, security and, uh, and other uses, is potentially the new internet. I think um, the BVI at the moment has a, a relatively light touch regime and we're ideally placed as a common law jurisdiction uh, to receive uh, and uh, manipulate, if you like, or at least use to, to our advantage and the advantage of investors here, um, the, the case law that comes from the other major onshore jurisdictions like the UK, but also uh, New Zealand, uh, Canada, uh, Singapore uh, and Australia uh, and Hong Kong. Uh, to really uh, ensure uh, that we're able to be a, a competitive jurisdiction. So thank you everybody for attending the podcast. There we have it, the evolving world of crypto uh, seen uh, through the, the prism and the experience, at least so far, uh, of three uh, professionals working in the legal uh, and insolvency uh, uh, industries. We would welcome any comments uh, or any questions that you might have and please feel free uh, to get in touch. And thank you for listening.